Wow. What is it, Bobby? I know exactly where Jack Rabbit's palace is. My dad, when I was a little kid, he took me to this place. It's near where our station used to be. It was our make-believe world, you know, where we made up stories. And I was the one that named it Jack Rabbit's palace. <laughs> he saw all this. Whatever this is. Ah, it's my dad. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are discussing part nine of Twin Peaks The Return. That makes us halfway through the season. That's true. Uh, and as always right now, this episode was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on July 9th, 2017. On this episode... Bad Coop meets with his associates to give out instructions, get some gear, and send a text. Dougie Coop unwittingly surrenders his fingerprints while his boss sticks up for him to the three Fuscos, who head off to apprehend Ike the Spike. The FBI crew inspects Major Briggs' body in Buckhorn and learns of Bill Hastings' encounter with the Major in The Zone. Truman Hawk and Bobby Briggs visit Mrs. Briggs, who hands over a crucial cryptic Cooper clue left by her late husband. We catch up with several members of the Horn family, and we're back to the roadhouse to close it out. That's it. That's what happened. It's interesting to me that if last week was not the crazy, ridiculous spectacle that it was, episodes seven and nine, excuse me, part seven and nine back to back would feel outrageously pedestrian as far as just like <laughs> run-of-the-mill Twin Peaks yeah. happening. The fact that we got this episode like spiked in between what have been the two most normal episodes, I think yeah. I mean, this episode puts did... them both on the slope of, uh, like, you know, you can feel their adjacency to that, but otherwise they're just like, yeah, you're just I, rolling I see through what Twin you mean. Peaks. I see what you mean, but yeah, this definitely felt to me like, okay, we're back to just yeah. what this, what the version of normalcy for this show is. Yes. Um, the, this episode had... I mean, even for a, you know, non-episode eight episode, this this episode is really low in terms of, for instance, supernatural things happening or like weird, unexplained anything, right? I think this episode might have the least of that yeah. so far, because even two episodes ago, we at least had Dougie doing some weird stuff. The arm pops out of the ground and says, tear his, tear his arm off. And, yeah, you know, yeah. in this episode, the most supernatural experience we had was Jerry Horn's talking shoe. Right. <laughs> Yes, which you know, unclear if that is in fact <laughs> right. Is Jerry is Jerry Horn uh, entering the zone, or is he just yeah. like on a bad trip? Right, uh, or both. Mm. A bad trip to the zone. That was the working title of this episode. That's the German title <laughs> of this episode. Yeah, a bad trip to the zone. Yes, very true. A bad trip to zone. This episode, I think, it's probably best served by us just rolling through it and talking about it. Yeah, going through the various threads. I mean, we're back to there being a bunch of threads. Yeah, uh, obviously is. Uh, indicated by that that's that top line summary um we open with bad coop who the shot of him walking that dusty trail was kind of incredible to me i mean it it looked like it came from a different show to me almost it was so i mean especially when he was sort of at the beginning of the shot when right. he was off in the distance it was so sort of pastoral and serene. And then the closer it gets, the more you're like, oh, that's just it's a like, dusty, wow, bloodied wreck destroyed. of a man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so he he meets up with... Um, well, he picks up that bandana, for oh, sure. Oh, that's true. He snags that bandana. Do you think he knew that was there? I don't know. I couldn't tell. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah. Um, he meets up with Tim Roth, Hutch. Yep. He meets up with Hutch and Chantel. Gets, gets the more stuff of his, he needs. More of his minions. He seems to have a lot of just sort of... Yeah, he's got a whole network. God, he's like a some, crime boss, I guess, a, right? Yeah. Which, he, I, I mean, I guess he he effectively must be. I mean, he's got that, how, he's got that house. Yeah, he, it seems like at this point he is just sort of a crime boss of vaguely white trash criminals. Yeah, it's it's strange, but I think that's what's going on. Yep. Um, he sends a text. It's this text that Diane receives later in yeah. the episode. Uh, he sends it, though, on an amazing, like, encrusted pink. Yes. Um flip phone which is very good um the text 
says around the dinner table, the conversation is lively. Okay. And then one of those, one of those Twin Peaks phrases. Yeah. Uh Definite, definite one of those. Yeah. Um, And then he just drops off an instruction to kill the warden, which the, which, which Hutch takes with no, um, Hutch has like, sees no difficulty or problem in that. Yeah. He he was sort of surprising to me. Yeah. He just kill that warden. He calls up uh, his, his boy in Vegas and says, did you do it yet? And the guy says, not yet. Presumably that's in regards to getting Dougie being killed. Yeah, it must be. And we haven't seen, I mean, well, we, we, I haven't seen that character in a few episodes. That character's been in the show since like the first episode. He was he was in episode two. Yeah, episode he was in sort two. of the okay, first okay, part yeah. of the of that opening yeah. two parter. Then we last saw him sending the file with the dot on it to Ike the Spike to yeah. kill those two the 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 woman who was texting mm-hmm. the same place as Jeffries, and right. then also kill Dougie. But Ike the Spike obviously lost his hand, etc. So yeah, 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 more on more on that later this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, were were there any? I mean, the, I mean, he makes out with that lady and then uh, leaves. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And he says, "Destroy everything." Yeah, I don't know. That scene was pretty straightforward. Yeah, it, it was. It was essentially just catch up to this is what happens now that this guy isn't dead after all. Um, and that's about it. I think. When do we next see Bad Coop? That episode. This episode, or was that? That was that all of him so far. I don't think there's any additional yeah. stuff we see of him. Yeah, it's worth noting that that whole thing was really closely intercut with all of the FBI investigation. Right. Um, that was going back and forth on a really uh, sort of quick um, quick level. But do you want to talk about that or do you want to talk about Dougie Coop? Uh, let's, let's just get, let's get all the Coopers out of the way okay. early on. Yeah. So Cooper... We get, that means we can talk about the Fuscos. That's true. Um, Cooper was uh, sort of sitting around waiting with Janie E while uh, Bushnell, his boss is being interviewed by the three Fusco yes. detectives. I feel like his boss's name has changed or something. Whatever. No, it hasn't. Okay. Has it has always it? been that? Bushnell, that's his yeah. first name. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. I, yeah. I, know him, I know him by his last name, which I've also forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he... Bushnell is sort of like giving the rundown on Dougie, and we learn some things about Dougie um, that... You know, sort of enhance our understanding of that weird character. It confirms things that you believed had to have been yeah, true, or exa- some exactly. version of them had to right, be true. Right, like the right. Dougie suffered a car accident. Yes, uh, and he occasionally has episodes. Also, also after Bushnell leaves, we learn that his records exist no further than 1997. Yeah, so Cooper or Dougie, excuse me, is only 20 years old, I guess, or maybe less. Potentially, yeah. I mean, I mean the the cops obviously stipulate maybe it's witness protection but we as the viewers think maybe it is because that is when he was created by it's it seems like twin peaks is doing its season three thing i mean the way that all those things are laid out and the way that we've seen all the other sort of mystery clues laid out it's safe to assume in my opinion that within two episodes the combination of the fingerprints and them saying they're going to run it up to someone in in justice or in the fbi means that the airplane containing Gordon Cole's Blue Rose Brigade is going to end up crossing paths with this stuff in a couple weeks, it right. seems like. I think that's probably right. Um, yeah. Whether or not that means that we're going to get Cooper back, irrelevant, but it means that yeah. at least all all of the information is going to be in the same room for the yeah. first time. Yeah. So in this, in this uh, scene, there were sort of two long, lingering shots of people looking at things that I think are worth discussing. Okay. And the first was Bushnell... And the cops sort of facing each other off for an extended, awkward moment in which Bushnell almost looks like he wants to start boxing mm-hmm. with these guys. Is that how it came off to you? I couldn't tell if it was him being adversarial towards them. Yeah, when I, when I did not know how to interpret that yeah. scene, but... By the end of it, because of because of the way that he outlined all the things that had happened to Dougie, where he sort of was like his someone tried to kill him and his car yeah. blew up, and sort of looking at the law enforcement guys, my ultimate read on this, which may be totally wrong, was that his mind was rolling through. Dougie's been going through a major case of insurance fraud. Someone is maybe out to get Dougie because he's revealing that there's this yeah. huge conspiracy. Also, I'm looking at three detectives who are maybe about to discover that my company. Uh, it, it, unbeknownst to me, but is still perpetrating massive insurance fraud. 
uh, I'm in a really bad situation. Right. So it's more and, of the defensive reflex. Yeah, I thought that he yeah. was like, oh, I got to get out of here. Yeah, that's a good he, read. He lists all the things off that happened to Dougie, then sort of just goes, oh. And then just like, yeah. It says, hey, Dougie, take the rest of the day off. And he just goes back to the office. And yeah. My, that was. But I'll, the scene still seemed emotionally not 100% li- aligned with that either. Like, it seemed like there was something else going on, and it's hard to know. Mm hmm what that was or if it was a weird in the moment decision to play everyone's interiority in a very strange way on screen but I yeah right that was that was the best I could make of it though yeah no I like that I like that interpretation a lot the other one of those uh, the really big obvious one because we've had a number of these is Cooper getting transfixed by the flag in the corner while the strains of the national anthem yeah sort of waft into his brain I assume this is easily for me, at least, the best one of these. Yeah. We've gotten a billion of these. Yeah. I mean, this was the most potent and most outrageous one, but like... I it, really liked the shoes on the statue one, personally. Oh, that was also really good. Man, that was really good. <sighs> yeah. I can't but, stay I can't stay mad at Dougie. Just like everyone in <laughs> Dougie's life, I can't stay mad at Dougie. Yeah. I, like, him looking at the flag, the music coming on, then the woman who's basically dressed as Audrey Horn after right. she changes her shoes in yeah. early season one... Like the way that he goes from the flag to being distracted by like the black skirt and the, the red shoes, heels, the red shoes, yeah. and then she leaves the room. Then he pans back over and sort of focuses Fixates, yeah. on the electrical outlet. Like, what a complete collection of nonsense on its face! But because of all the stuff that we've seen in the season, like that scene had yeah, such viewed with so much meaning. so much meaning. That was yeah. so good. I mean, the and the Audrey one is not even referencing this season at all. Right, it's, it's going referencing way back. it's referencing yeah the first season of Twin Peaks. It's referencing yeah. sort of like his first days in in that town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really really good, and and just the incredibly cheesy string arrangement. <laughs> it was so good. That was pl- I mean so good. Yeah, very very good. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, do you do you have anything to say? This is much less substantial than what we just talked about. But do you have anything to to say or observe about those three weird Fusco detectives? I love them. The, yeah. They're my, they're like they're <laughs> they're very Twin Peaksy. Yeah, they're a, they're like the, they're the version of that style of sort of Twin Peaks slapstick. Yeah, uh, or not even slapstick, but just like weird character acting, just goof goofiness. It was good. Yeah. I like those guys, including the totally pointless insert shot uh, of when they're on their way to go see Ike the Spike that they walk past the guy's taillight and they're like, yeah, nice. <laughs> Check it out. And then they keep going like, good, yeah, yeah. good, good guys to yeah. be in the middle of this this weird mess. Yep. After the middle cop was just busting up about that taillight. I know. That cackling weirdo. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was good. It's very good. I like they, it they felt like... Like season two, Twin Peaks in a way, but like a good, yeah, like sort of yeah, like yeah, yeah. a healthy presence right. of it in this yeah, case. Yeah, 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 yeah. If if we had an entire episode about just those characters, I would be less uh, into it. Right, but that would be. Ins- if it was cross cutting yeah. between that and like Mike's Honda dealership, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then we get we get all three of those guys lined up, pistols drawn, at Ike the Spike. Yep. In, I just found that to be a very funny moment especially with how incredibly pleased with themselves with themselves they are yep. when they declare Ike the Spike you're under arrest for attempted murder yep we had it was good that whole, that whole scene palm. was good the actor who played Ike the Spike actually got a scene to like be not just a goofy guy yeah, who yeah, stomped yeah. around like yeah. he he played it really well like ever that whole scene was good and made me actually like believe in that entire collection of people as characters and as a story in a way that has mm-hmm. felt really one note before yep I agree I, I, I like that whole thing before we move on from this too far, yeah. At this point, now that Dougie isesn't wearing his wacky clothes, now that he's now that sort of Janie E has decided that he just should wear the suit because it fits him the best. It looks sharp. Whenever we hard cut to him just sort of sitting and looking straight ahead, I go <gasps> like I actually gasp <laughs> every time because we don't right. see Cooper yeah. that often. But that shot of him just sort of like stoically looking ahead, yeah. When you first see him in the police department, I went, "Oh, geez, Cooper, Cooper's," yeah. And then it, I went, "Oh, okay, it's Dougie, it's Dougie, it's Dougie." Yeah. And then the reveal, like I felt like. My reaction to seeing and being surprised by Cooper totally like held reaction. because yeah, then yeah. it had the it had the press in on him and it's yeah. like, what is he staring at? The American flag. I was like, okay, right. well, he also is sort of Coopering out right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. There there have been a couple times, like a few episodes back, when it cut to him in the elevator in that suit on his way into Lucky Seven, and mm-hmm. I, I just went, oh yeah. no, okay, no, I know, it's fine. Yep, it's I, fine. I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. Um, do you want to move on to the FBI investigation? Yeah. 
which seems like one of the two meatiest threads this week. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Threads are actually starting to be connected really in, you know, fairly rapid succession. <laughs> this episode. And with the actual knowledge of the characters in the show, not yeah, just the viewer. It was funny. I was talking to I was talking to D- Dana part through this episode and we said, oh, this is one of those classic season three Twin Peaks episodes where it feels like, you know, maybe nothing happens and it's moving really slow, but at the same time, a ton of information's happening. And then I paused and went, oh, never mind. We're only 30 minutes into this. And we thought that we were like almost at the end of the episode. Yeah, and yeah. Went, wow, this is a packed episode. Yeah. Yep. Which, you know, as as evidenced by these opening scenes on the plane where they're basically discovering and being, tra- the FBI is discovering and being trapped between so many threads at once that they can't even deal with all of it at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. they... Uh, hear from uh, Agent Knox or geez, Lieutenant Knox mm-hmm. and uh, you know about Major Briggs's body and decide they're going to make the diversion there and then when they're on their way being diverted they hear that Bad Coop is broken out of prison right so it's just like inundated with yeah. like everything's everything's finally coming home to roost in an right. aggressive really aggressive way mm-hmm. and none of that stuff is new to us until we get to the zone related Yes, stuff with Bill Hastings. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just again, sort of satisfying and reassuring to watch all of the things actually fold in. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you enjoy uh, Diane's the, <laughs> the screen on Diane's phone preventing her, I guess, from using her phone on the plane, which was just a black screen with a word with in the word red blocked. <laughs> <saying> yeah, <laughs> was that? I mean, this is the, the mat does not matter one bit, but. I assume that was supposed to be some kind of like FBI technology locally blocking her phone because I figure because Preston Pre- was still able to but use, but she her has phone. like a big bulky satellite phone. Yeah. It felt like there was just it was just yeah. some conceit. It felt like a cheesy conceit to just delay Diane getting that text until she's on the ground at the Buckhorn Morgue. But yeah, yeah, it was a good opportunity to see some good Twin Peaks infographics. Yeah. So the things that I liked a lot were Diane, Diane's just reaction to things. When they actually arrive, um, her sort of morose um, demeanor, which I mean is in line with everything we've gotten from her before, but the version of it that I really, really liked was her playing off of Cole outside when she was smoking. Yeah. And Cole sort of, I think we're what probably meant to assume that Cole has quit smoking, but you know, they used, as he says, they used to smoke together. Yeah. He takes a drag of her cigarette. Uh, and it's just uh, yeah, it's another one of as mentioned the very 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 long held scenes, yep. long shots, but with two people sort of just. There were three people in that scene though, which made true. it very hard to watch. I feel scene. like the actress who plays uh, Agent Preston did not quite know what to do in that scene, and David Lynch wasn't behind the camera to. I don't know. It felt very strange. Oh, I bought that because I felt it as that character not knowing what to do or how to hold herself or how to look. All right. Yeah, that, that totally worked for me. Well, yeah. All right. That it. it I didn't. I. I was really frustrated in that scene because I was. I kept trying to watch David Lynch and Laura Dern, but she was just like moving around and the foley was so aggressive on the other side of the screen that I was like, <laughs> yeah. God, I can't even watch the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, maybe that was what was supposed to be going on. No, that's fair. I but, was just jumping ba- basically between the three of them all uh, the time. I, yeah. I literally just could not actually <laughs> fixate on anything because oh, there was just like Sorry, an Jake. awkward shuffler. Yeah. It's fine. It's totally good. Uh, Diane's sort of like, I guess like her arc across this episode was really just nice to watch to me because I feel like her whole sort of character conceit through the few scenes we've seen with her is basically to be disaffected and to say fuck you yeah. to whoever's near her. But it feels like she's being drawn in kind of despite herself yeah, to what's yeah, going yeah, on yeah, and yeah. as she, it's she doesn't even want to go with them on their diversion at all yeah but yeah. she's watching the bill hastings stuff and it seems like the fact that she knows a ton about all these things and we just know that she has had historical involvement and proximity to all of this it seems like her getting a taste of some actual concrete movement for the first time in decades mm-hmm. is too much to resist and, and she making can't, that connection with cole yeah it's you know sort of bringing her back a little bit yeah Preston interviews Hastings. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, is just completely falling apart. It's it's kind of crazy to me that this is the first any of this zone stuff is being mentioned. I know. I given wish... all of 
like given the predicament he was in before, but whatever. I wish there had been one drop earlier that he maybe knew more than nothing. Yeah. Because the last thing we heard, the last time we saw and heard Bill Hastings, I think was when his wife was alive. And when she was like, you're having an affair, your fingerprints were all over it. He said, I was having a crazy dream. And now he's like, well, actually me and this woman were investigating the lodges and we had talked to Major Briggs and we went to another dimension and I had a website (laughs) and like, whoa, yeah, (laughs) pretty intense drop. The, Uh, the, The way I can sort of sell that on his behalf is to say he got so accustomed to thinking of the zone as a dream in his head because he did say he woke up from it. I mean, even after he's actually talking about it. That's totally true. And this was the first time that anyone has come and interrogated him on a level that is just, I accept all the things that you're saying. We're just going to ask you very direct questions about this experience, literally show you a picture of the guy that you saw and stuff. Which is kind of incredible. I mean, like imagine that from Hastings' point of view. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't. He's I mean, in such a state that he doesn't really acknowledge like, oh, how crazy it is. The X Files like, are real, is what he thinks. And gives him a photo <laughs> yeah. of this guy that he saw in another dimension slash a dream. Yeah. And he just sort of circles it, dates it. But anyway, uh, did you go to that website? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good website. The search for the zone dot com. Yeah. It the, or the, yeah. It's yeah. It's the search for the zone dot com. Yeah. It's really good. It's it, a very classic late 90s. It looks like a website he's been updating for 20 years. Yeah. B- uh, but I, I mean, updating the text only and right. never touched any other piece of it. Yeah. It's got really good buttons on it that say things like say no to frames and yeah. like the campaign against frames and all this crap that people really cared about <laughs> yeah, it looked like, in the early web. Well, yeah. When you were really excited about like GeoCities era web development. Yeah. Uh, oh, it said made with notepad the right way. Yeah. Which, just really stupid and good. It's which you know kind of makes me sad because it's very clear that the Twin Peaks season production team didn't make it, and someone like on the marketing side must have because that level of dorky awareness of <laughs> web stuff just is not present in the aesthetic of the rest of the show. Yeah, sure. But it was still really, really, really well done. If you dig too deep into the website, it's clearly just like marketing for the the Showtime. Twin Peaks soundtrack. Oh, is it? I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, like if you if you there's a like support my page by you know donating, oh. and if you click that, it takes you to the to the Twin Peaks soundtrack store. So like so whatever. What is the soundtrack? Is it is it the licensed? It's, it must it's be the, the it's music. the Roadhouse. It's, it's the entire like yeah. Roadhouse uh, because bands. there's a, a video that if you if you try and look at Hastings old posts, you get a 404 page which then redirects. It's a bunch to of video static. A video, yeah, with with weird, actually really cool. I thought really cool looking. Um, sort of light stab effects yeah and then many many of the soundtrack yep. uh, tracks and the, just sort of running with static yep. over them yeah um it but was, I, I didn't realize the marketing aspect actually. yeah but it doesn't really matter because the website itself is worth a visit yeah um it seems like matthew lillard the actor who plays bill hastings didn't know that this week would be the week when his big like monologue in jail oh, showed really? up because I, I looked at his twitter account and he said oh a bunch of people are telling me that tonight's the night that i'm on twin <laughs> peaks uh, and he seemed very proud of that performance. I liked that a lot. I, I thought too, yeah, I, I've, he, I've really yeah. enjoyed Bill Hastings, and I said in I guess it was episode two or three, whenever his um, whenever his wife got shot, that I was really disappointed that she was killed so early because I thought their scene in the jail right before uh, right before the woodsman shows up for the first time was really good and totally reminded yeah. me of like old like the sort of white collar double crossing stuff from old from old Twin Peaks and having that oh yeah oh definitely and like yeah. that being combined with him being that yeah. sort of just crying wreck Martel was, versus Horn and yeah, yeah yeah and you know I was happy to see him playing the part of emotionally destroyed man uh, another Twin Peaks classic yes uh, but yeah uh, man that yeah his 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 monologue was actually great because uh, his his huge emotional crazy talk about his unknowable experience but then the reveal that he just wanted to go scuba diving i know in bermuda yeah, yeah. oh it was good that yeah. was very good mm-hmm. yeah I, I have nothing more to say about that other than i i appreciated it no i really liked it yeah it's it's i mean i feel like i've said this a lot of times and the show still continues at the pace it continues at but it does feel like so much information is getting dumped right into the faces of actual characters on the show that there has to be I mean things have to be coming to a head right I (laughs) Uh. (laughs) well we'll see there's always there's always another like turn that the story could take every time that it's getting close although yeah that's true because now 
this episode, as far as just things inevitably coming to a head, not only did, uh, you know, because they've found Major Briggs's body and they've had a bunch of conversations about yeah. that and they've found Bill Hastings and they've learned about what he's doing, obviously also they were given uh, Dougie's wedding ring, which was found inside of Major Briggs. So now right. the FBI has the name Dougie and Janie E. And the and the police have Dougie's fingerprints. Have Dougie's fingerprints. Uh and also his lack of a past and are running that through mm-hmm. witness protection yeah. and whatever. So like it's feeling very similar to like in the first half of the season when you know, uh when Jade put the key in the mailbox and we're like, what's that? It's like that we yeah. just know that these these things are gonna eventually flow downstream into some sort of plot the thing convergence. That could happen though, like with dropping the key in the mailbox, is we could just go four episodes of other things yes. happening before. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. Um, well, I, we should probably talk about Albert a little bit yes. in across the FBI stuff because um, he has been getting some really good uh, moments yeah. to play, including his like constant sort of snark, uh, his Alberting jokesterism going on. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been be- good. He's being Albert. This felt like this felt like some of the best Albert stuff as well, including yeah. his little like tete a tete with the. The, corner with the corner, is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, did you have specific things you wanted to say about it, or just bring it up to appreciate its presence? I just brought it up to appreciate its presence. I mean, it's you know, some characters who were mainstays of the original series have been very much relegated to occasional uh, gags, and I, I would say Lucy and Andy are an example of that. And we got yeah. that again from them in this episode, yeah. and and the for the most part. I mean, you know, there isn't really a huge correlation between how much screen time did they have in the original show versus how much do they have in this show. It's more just what do we need those characters for? Yeah. And it's just worked out that Albert and Gordon Cole, you know, for that matter, who also, you know, went his involvement in, in the original show went up and down. Yeah. This is this is but they're just exponentially a lot of more of those characters, I think. Yeah. And it, it's just I, it's I feel like Albert went through an arc in the first in the original run of Twin Peaks in a way that like Cole certainly didn't because he was just barely a yep. character you know not he didn't have a a sort of character growth arc or anything like that he was more of just like a fixture um, Albert's we despite I think kind of almost being introduced as a one note character ended up a character with a surprising amount a surprising number of dimensions yeah and so it's cool I have enjoyed in this season seeing it, it feels like th- this season doesn't have Albert changing over the course of the season, but it feels like he contains all of what we yes. learned about Albert from the yeah, original it, run. He's he's a character that's that's we we've spent enough time with and has gone through so much and has just had a, a been portrayed through a great performance to the point that Lynch can point the camera at Albert and in his eyes you as a viewer can sort of you can understand what he's going through or what his interiority might be in a way that you cannot for some other characters on the show mm-hmm. um, and they're leaning into that really hard and it works basically every time like mm-hmm. it, we've I had agree. a lot of a lot of moments of Albert just sort of witnessing some portion of Cooper's past falling back into place and just seeing him process it and yep. seeing him think about that in terms of his friendship with Cooper, in terms of the mystery and just sort of what it could mean literally for his job, in terms of the mistakes that he's made and sort of all these other things just read silently on his face in so many scenes and it's it's really cool to watch. Yeah. And knowing, you know, that sadly, like so many other actors from the original of Twin Peaks, Miguel Ferreira is has passed away. Yeah. It is it's nice to get this much from him yeah. in this show, which I was absolutely not expecting. Nope. So, yeah, just wanted to call that out. Uh, you want to turn to Twin Peaks? Yeah. yeah. What, if anything, do you make of the fact that frequently on this season, when we get an establishing shot of the Twin Peaks Sheriff Depart- Sheriff's Department, it is displayed with these sort of blinding god rays shining through the forest behind it. Anything or that's just I don't just, I don't know. Lynch likes it and he, just there it is. I, yeah, it's hard to know. Maybe they are the, the shining force of good in the world. Also, I mean, it, it does, just looks really pretty. Yeah, no, it looks great. I mean, it feels sort of to me like this is a very obvious interpretation, but you know, we spend so much time in this season in so many other places and um, you know, dealing in these sort of dismal plot threads and so on that it feels like it's basically saying Ah, uh, Twin Peaks, this 
pure, wonderful place. A breath and, of fresh uh, air. Yeah, a breath of fresh air. But yeah. then what... what I mean, maybe that maybe that's the intent, and then we're supposed to be like, ah, let off some steam with Lucy and Andy buying some chairs, and then it's like, I don't want to watch this. I yeah. did not want to be watching that scene. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't really understand the function of those characters it, on this. It season. It felt like it it's was supposed to play as some like just lighthearted play to take the air out of. Or to yeah, it's sort of their class. It well, it felt like a very very classic. Andy and Lucy moment, right? Of like they're mad at each other, but they love each other really at the end of the day, and they'll both sort of make a sacrifice, yeah, tiny sacrifice for each other. But it just didn't. It, it just it didn't fell flat to it, me. Yeah. yeah, it. Lucy ordering the red chair all the same. Like at least it had that beat at the end. But even yeah, that I mean, felt that a nice, little bit weird. Maybe it would be. A I mean, it felt fine in substance. Like yeah. right in the actual actions that were taken, it was believable for those characters, it, I it guess. It just it was played very, very really, strangely. Yeah. Maybe we need that bad lamenty uh, yeah, brush they, pattern in the background. That probably would have gone a long way, right? I mean, because the, the thing, when they're just mad at each other, I, both because there's no music and, you know, they're... They're older and they've been in a. They've, they're actually married and they've been in a relationship for a long time. And it's entirely feasible to imagine, just because they're human beings, that their relationship has legitimate, like fissures in it, right? right. Not because of them, but just because that's like a right. thing that happens to people, right? Um, and that's fine. That's a fine thing to depict on this show, certainly. But when it's just that and we have no other context from anything about their lives <laughs> other know. than they have the son Wally Brando, who we haven't seen, you know, in many episodes. Which whatever, um, but when it's just that, and that's the only thing we get from them for several episodes, it's very and it's strange. just uncut and tense. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I, like, don't know what, I don't know what to do could, with it. You other could at than least just... turn it into something that we know we're meant to understand as kind of just like a funny quirk of their relationship <laughs> with that music. I don't know. Let's let's cut to this wacky scene that's just going to sort of, you know, lighten the mood for a minute. Oh, I don't <laughs> know. Is there, is there, are their lives falling apart? Like, yeah. oh, God. Okay. <laughs> anyway, next scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really strange. Yep. One thing I want to mention about the uh, Lucy and Andy thing, mm-hmm. this is utterly meaningless, but Lucy has a dual monitor set up and Andy only has one monitor on his computer, and I thought that was funny. Good. Yeah. Lucy clearly knows how to use technology. Just FYI. Yeah. She just doesn't she understand cell phones for no reason. But she understands that you can like be sitting in your chair and still be ordering another chair from a store like thousands of miles away. Yeah, and she and knows you could, have, you could have two monitors so that you can have your work on one monitor and you can have your Amazon chair shopping on the other <laughs> right. monitor and you can move a mouse between them. Yeah. So you can browse uh, Bill Hastings' Zone website on one <laughs> monitor. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we get a, uh, I think, a really great scene at the the Briggs family home. Um, Bobby, Hawk, and Truman um, visit there. They ask about Cooper and Briggs. And then there's this whole, I feel like we got sort of a smaller version of a very classic Major Briggs yeah. sort of oratory moment, right? As, as, as recalled, his yeah. widow is sort of recalling his final instructions about Cooper and his prediction of what's going to happen and her insistence to Bobby that he always knew he would sort of find the life he was meant to have. Yeah, and, it, it landed you know, so well. It I was agree. so good. Yeah. And I made me really glad that we talked about those scenes last week in our catch-up episode because it ended up putting that stuff so fresh in my mind yeah. that when when she went into it, it was I was, I was totally ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. That scene... Ah, oh, that scene was one of my favorite scenes in season three of Twin Peaks. Maybe at least as, so far, as, well. as far as far, especially just I wasn't. You know, I mean, I've been enjoying all of the new crazy things that have been in this season. But as far as just like core classic Twin Peaks moments, this was was fantastic. That whole speech was good. Also. One of many uh, secret compartments containing a, a wrapped piece of paper with a clue in it. We yeah. got all the yep. Twin Peaks yep. classics were here. Yep. Uh, Bobby tearing up, everything you could ever yep. want was yep. in this scene, but it all it all landed and was all perfect. Mm-hmm. Like as opposed to the Andy and Lucy scene, which was classic Twin Peaks conceptually, but in execution did not hold a candle to any anything from of, yep. of its of its ilk from the old show. This sure. scene, like. 
Oh, it was, was just totally like an there, yeah. elevated, great version of, of that style Absolutely. of moment that you love from Twin Peaks. I mean, and it landed it right up until the end because there's a sort of, you know, the, Mrs. Briggs, it just has the, I mean, she's holding the room completely wrapped, right? I mean, mm-hmm. she has, she has these people enraptured and it's, everyone is sort of caught up in this incredible grandeur and the, um, sort of poignancy and power of what is being said and also what is being described. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and I, you don't, and then what causes you to actually realize that you also, the audience member are just as caught up in it as the actors on screen is when she says, now how about that coffee? And everyone's sort of like, like oh, oh yes. Oh, 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 like, oh great. You know, they all refused coffee a moment ago and yeah. now it's like, Oh my God. And sh- she breaks the ice in this pitch perfect way. And the room just like, deflates just the right amount yep. and it was just it was perfect and I also her totally and perfect. also everyone getting excited to close that out with coffee is the most twin peaks yeah, exactly. and that it. was also the best way to when end she it. turned around and was talking about the thing that major briggs left behind i totally thought that she was just gonna pull out like a four inch thick dossier called the secret history of twin peaks yeah. and hand it over to those guys <laughs> but that then i was be impossible so because preston right but why does she have it we don't know what time that actually happens. Yeah, that could I have happened after true. this. This could have been just handed to those guys to make yeah. its way into the hands of Agent Preston. Yeah, I guess that's but true. But instead, way better, an old like old person chair popped yeah. up in a secret <laughs> compartment with a pill uh, containing a note. Yeah. Yeah, that scene was so good. And that actress just destroyed it. Like, I, It's probably her only scene in the new Twin Peaks. That's my guess. Yeah. But what oh, yeah, a good- Yeah, she killed it. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Uh, and then I also actually think that that Bobby, this did episode great with everything he was given this episode. This yeah, uh, I was yeah Bobby's performance, just great and all. Like, he was in I guess probably three big scenes across the episode, all really good. When talking to Dana about it, the thing that the thing that we both sort of determined was it it, it it's a performance that's actually made me appreciate teenage Bobby more. Oh, interesting. Seeing Bobby as an adult and seeing the way that he is actually emotionally affected by all these things and and his his actual relationship with his parents and the way that he sort of recalls all the things that he that he did with his dad and the way that he just he's so emotional about all these things, it made me go back and think about a lot of Bobby's moments in in the f- first couple seasons and it it cements for me like it always was ambiguous to me as to whether or not it's Dana Ashbrook is the actor. Yep. If if the Bobby Briggs stuff was him being a bad actor or him being a kid who was playing it cool but maybe wasn't as cool as he was playing it, and I feel like right. Bobby as an adult totally cements it as the latter, as like this yeah. is actually an emotional kid who ha- was wearing the sort of mask of cool teen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, whether or not that was actually partly bad acting at the time, like it totally feels now like you're seeing Bobby having spent years sort of reforming his life and getting going to be you know a member of the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department that he is now having all of these things from his past like not only the death of Laura Palmer who was like his high school girlfriend who with whom he was involved in all sorts of stuff that he probably regrets as an adult but also the death of his father that was connect that was temporarily connected to that but he probably didn't see those events as like literally a part of yeah, a chain yeah, in his childhood and now he's looking back at all of that going like you know thinking back at who he was as Bobby Briggs and who he was as a son and as a teenager and as just sort of a member of this town and as a person I feel like he's actually managing to convey all of that stuff just through like I, I don't know I, I really no, I, I, I was so into like Bobby Briggs' story this episode I totally, was, I totally, oh, like a twist ending I totally agree and I think that that stuff kind of got tied together so what the thing you describe as I think you're 100% spot on about I mean whether or not it was 100% present in Ashbrook's performance in the original run of Twin Peaks or whether or not it is a combination of that plus our kind of retroactive yeah. uh, assignment from this season it doesn't really matter right I mean it's all there um, but regardless I think this episode shows I think very honestly and very accurately the adult um, kind of evolution of that as like as all of that stuff that was going on in his head and his psyche as a teen embroiled in all of this just impossibly complex um, emotionality and everything else now he's the adult who's grown through that 
and sort of internalized it into someone who's basically centered and level and play and is sort of using that to play off of all these experiences in a totally like well-adjusted way. Like I love all the, all the times he's, he's given several instances this episode of basically being like, I know, I know what you guys are trying to do. Like I already, I know this. My dad showed me this thing. Right. Like, oh, I know what we're doing. Let's head outside. He he does that a couple times this episode, and it really feels to me like it's almost Bobby. He sort of gets to show that he's taken all these experiences and is now able to access them in a healthy way. Yeah. You know? And it's been a great combination of sort of confidence in his ability to do that and then surprise where he's hit by a memory that he clearly yeah. hasn't reassessed yeah. since he was a kid. Like, what was the name of the location that Briggs says they should go? Jackrabbit's Palace. Yeah, when Jackrabbit's Palace shows up and he just goes, oh, oh like... And yeah. he like, you can see the like respect for his dad showing up and him being like, maybe I never actually thought about some of the stuff that my dad actually did. And yeah, like, well, what my dad no was as a person. Does, right? right. And yeah. he didn't have a chance to really know to like grow up with his dad because his dad died literally right after Twin Peaks. Like Bobby was maybe just like towards the end of being in high school mm-hmm. when his dad died. Yeah. And this sort of like thinking back to all those things and now going, oh, wow, my dad was maybe an adult. Yeah. Uh, was it like, it's been cool seeing those tiny little moments hit him uh, along with, like you said, him just being able to actually, like the the, the, the sort of surface level stuff versus the deeper stuff, I feel like both both came out at the same time. I don't yeah. know. It's, yep. it's, it's really good. That, yeah. Yeah. He, who knew that I know. Bobby Briggs would be an awesome character well, again, to like? Well, <laughs> again, right? I mean, I guess in this case, the the scale is tipped by Major Briggs being um, such an important character to the plot. But you know, nonetheless, you don't. You as we were saying with Albert, like you don't know which characters from the original run are going to yep. end up with a huge, important role. And as with Albert, I, I mean, I think even more so here because Albert obviously was already a fully grown adult and accomplished actor at the time the original Twin Peaks ran. But you know. Dan Ashbrook got handed a really consequential role in this new season and is just totally knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's just it, great. I mean, also, it's only turned out to be a consequential role because of this episode, I feel like, because he's only really that's had- That's true. You're right. He only had You're one right. other beat, that's, which that's was true. him seeing Laura's picture and yes. crying. But now it feels like, oh, Bobby is essential to season three after yeah. this episode. Yeah. No, also, you're right. Amazingly, Don Davis, the actor who played Major Briggs, he feels like his presence is essential to this mm-hmm, season. Absolutely, like, yeah. Major Briggs had such a, a, a small role, really, all things considered, yeah, in Twin Peaks. Yeah, screen time. But it was so potent, and it, feel, yeah. it, it felt like both of the actors who, you know, both Bobby Briggs and his mom, who's, man, I can't remember her character's name, but both of their abilities to sort of channel either the sort of cadence or emotion or what feels like maybe even just their memories of acting with Don Davis Mm. in their remembering Major Briggs felt so like just I mean this episode Major Briggs was just or just was all over it including you know including Bill Hastings yep drawing and circling the picture of him but just it makes you it makes you Betty Briggs Betty Briggs okay It, it makes you miss Major Briggs and makes you miss Don Davis but it also like like he feels so honored by sort of his tone and his character inspiring all the actions in this show. Like you, it, it, it was so successful. No, I totally agree. And I, I, th- I think also, so Charlotte Stewart who played Betty Briggs, we sort of alluded to this, but it's worth mentioning that she also did an absolutely fantastic yeah. job in this episode. And I think very much in line with what you just described. I mean, she was, uh, you know, again, unlike Dana Ashbrook, she was a full grown adult at the time the original Twin Peaks was shot. And so she was playing alongside Don Davis as, you know, both just grown adult yeah. actors. Um, and there's just, it's impossible for that sort of history and that knowledge not to seep into yeah. what we're seeing here. And, and you know, all these, I, these people just did a great job. Yeah. Like, like dealing with that legacy. Knowing, knowing what the plot of this season is, I, like I, I mean, I feel like everyone who follows Twin Peaks must have sort of suspected that Major Briggs would have to show up in some form in a third season of Twin Peaks because of the the interactions he had with Cooper in season two. Yeah, 
And I was really sad that Don Davis wasn't going to be around for this season of Twin Peaks. But given that he wasn't, I feel like the way that they've handled his character and his sort of presence in the story, both from a plot and sort of emotional and character level, mm-hmm. is the absolute best you could have hoped yeah, for I, without I, the actor being alive. I agree. Yeah. I don't know how you could possibly improve on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So moving on to, I guess, some of the really chunky plot stuff that's revealed they open this wacky device that is opened by, by throwing, throwing it, it on until the it like hums and makes a little click and then he threw yeah. it a second time. Yeah. Did the hum sound like the same hum that was inside of the Great Northern to you? I, it kind of sounded like it. I, I'm not sure if it's exactly the yeah. same. It felt sort of higher pitched to me, but yeah, I, it was I could just be the wrong. Only, the other time there was a prolonged yeah. hum, but also We're, how many times have there been a prolonged hum or drone in Twin Peaks? Answer always. Yeah, but that's a little bit different because this is explicitly in the world and characters remark yeah. on it. I think we're probably supposed that's to That's true. This is, there, there are two them. diagetic hums. Yeah, because episode. they're both in this episode. Yeah. And, the, and the other one uh, with, with um, Ben Horn and Beverly, that's all that happens in that scene. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, there's, they have a moment together, but the scene basically exists, I think, so that we can see, hear that hum again. Yeah. So it's probably intentional. Anyway, um, inside of the tiny little scroll in this capsule are two pieces of paper, one of which says 253 yards east of Jack Rabbit's Palace, 253, 10-1 and 10-2, October 1st and October 2nd, before leaving Jack Rabbit's they say it says before leaving Jack Rabbit's palace. I think it's actually written before leaving Jack Rabbit's place the second time. Anyway, no, it doesn't whatever. matter. Put some soil from that area in your pocket. And then there's a diagram of what looks to be two mountains, a sun over, you know, two peaks. Yeah. One over, a sun over one, and then a crescent moon over what I and some people interpreted as that. That sort of silhouette creature that Bad Coop had on the card on his card that some people that this is the, I'm less certain of this, but some people have drawn a comparison between that and the the experiment or the experimental model that barfed out Bob. Yeah. Well, because in that scene when it's floating through space last week, I think it was last week. It must. Oh, yes, it was last week. Uh, was it in episode eight that that <laughs> happened? Yes. Uh its face is basically a black orb with two horns. Right. The horns just look like a different silhouette to me. Yeah. But that might just be an artifact of just the way it's scrawled yeah. on the paper. I can't really tell. I found that image to be the most outrageous lore image of all time. I know, right? Because if, those th- if it is the experimental model or whatever that, that being is that barfed out Bob, and the thing that you say is a sun is actually a golden orb, then what that actually is is the two uh... peaks of Twin Peaks are like the Black Lodge and White Lodge spirits of that Laura Palmer orb face and that Bob yeah. barfing... Uh, yeah, thing from the nuclear explosion, right? Which is the most outrageous retconning of the meaning <laughs> of Twin Peaks yeah, uh, being these yeah. two things. The only reason I thought it was the sun is because there's a what looks like kind of a crescent moon on the other side, but right? That, but it could also what any it could nothing ever means one thing yeah, in the show. True, it's true. Yeah, uh, yeah, and nothing necessarily ever means anything. That's also in true. a very in a specific way, at least. Yeah. Um, so we we talked about Bobby's reaction to J- to uh, Jack Rabbit's palace, um, but we, there's also another piece of paper with a bunch of codes, each one consisting of a letter and three numbers, and then also the word Cooper twice. Isn't which, that the printout that Major Briggs yeah, shows Cooper from? Yeah, from from it, what they thought was space, right? But the, and then he says it's actually not. it's from the woods, yeah, like he said. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we were exactly. look, it was we were yeah. looking down instead of up or whatever. And then uh, that, that Hawk very <laughs> Hawk very very notably. His his summation of that is two Coopers, yeah, which is another sort of funny, not necessarily retcon, but like an amazing, hilarious way to tie in this element from the original run into yeah. the fact that there are now literally, literally two, two Coopers. Coopers running around. Well, Hawk also, he, yeah, Hawk has had that notion in his mind because a couple episodes, a couple, a couple episodes ago. He and Sheriff Truman f- found those pages from Annie's journal and yeah. and introduced to themselves the idea of there being a bad Cooper and a good Cooper. Right, so that's like true, yeah. for Hawk, that is like at least it, he didn't say it out of nowhere because right, he literally read a piece of paper evokes. that said the good Cooper and the bad Cooper or whatever and went uh what yeah although he definitely took that on faith in an, in an outrageous way <laughs> uh, two episodes ago um, yeah that piece of paper also I think shows up in the secret history of Twin Peaks yeah yeah um, so that's that's all that happens plot-wise with the sheriff's department. Yeah, it's it's set up for some big-ass plot event to happen soon because where they're going is up 
into the woods of Twin Peaks, also to a weird, mysterious location with a cryptic name at a certain time. The time is the, it's the same time. I think we've seen that time. We've seen two two five three a lot. Yeah, and also it's as Bobby said, Jack Rabbit's palace is right like within very short walking distance of the government facility up in the hills that Major Briggs used to work mm-hmm. in. Because Bobby said that like it was right by my dad's work. Yep. So whatever's up there is going to be a big deal. Yep, for sure. Uh, maybe it will also be found by Jerry Horn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we haven't talked about the horns. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's talk about Jerry Horn because I don't think there's a lot to say. <laughs> no, there's not. That scene was really... To me, I wasn't into it up until the end of it. Like when his shoe started talking to him and he started talking back to his shoe and doing that weird like... Well, when he talks to it, that's pretty early in the scene, but then he spends quite a while after that... Yeah, touching like sort of gingerly touching his shoe and then pulling back. Yeah, until at and the then very end. ending in the most amazing know, little physical gag. Yeah. So good. Yeah, that and was... then like just like a, a comedic cut to black and a hold on black for a minute. Yeah, yeah, ah, that was that was very good. But up, up until then, I don't know. That said, Jerry's shoe having a subtitle and sounding like of like the arm was very strange. Yeah, it says I am not your foot. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Who knows or cares? Find out later. But that <laughs> that. The fact that there's a weird subtitled did creature. Like, did it sound like the arm piece sounded almost more babyish to me, slightly? Yeah, I guess. I guess yeah. so. I guess that's true. It, it just had it had one of those sort of season three, yeah, season three lodge voices more than yeah. more than old Twin Peaks thing. But yeah, who knows where that came from, what it meant? But the fact that he was having any sort of weird subtitled experience is what made me think that for some reason he was going to stumble into the yeah. sheriff's department. After the season is concluded, I assume just because this is what happens on the internet, people are probably going to do supercuts of specific minor characters from this season. I mean, if you could just watch all of the Jerry Horn scenes back to back at the end of the season, it probably would only last a few minutes total. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I kind of want to go back and do that for a lot of these minor characters just to see if there's any kind of like like what the continuity is progression or anything yeah it's hard it's just it's really hard to know now when we just get these tiny isolated bursts of a couple minutes each spread over many episodes yep you want to talk about ben and beverly yeah so uh we're introduced to that scene with an establishing shot of the mountains we get classic twin that was like the most classic establishing shot set up the great northern yeah, it was really, really classic. Yep. And I mean, th- them chasing the hum, it's it's weird that it's a second instance of that, but like the first time, it also felt like an old Twin Peaks scene to me of mm-hmm. just two characters f- discovering something peculiar, being kind of sly and playful about it, Yeah, and then it getting a little bit awkward at the end. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I guess the point of that part was sort of to establish the... Ben Horn has mellowed with age. I guess when she said "You're a good, you're a good man, Ben Horn," I was like hoping against hope that it would end with him saying, "No, I'm not." Yeah, I wanted him to say it so bad, yeah. like ah, uh, but he didn't, and then yeah. it cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's not, and he knows that he's not, and I he know. kind of played it like he was dubious for saying that line, but he also let himself take the compliment, and I didn't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. The lamp in the corner when it first showed up in the previous scene with Ben Horn and Beverly, people on the internet were obsessed with or excited by the shape of the silhouette kind of looking like the uh, like the owl cave slash oh, like ring wow, image. I and it looked, I wasn't 100% on board with that uh, sort of read because I felt like it wasn't super explicit. This episode, it felt super explicit oh, to me. Oh, really? Man, the okay. camera just pushed in on that sort of box-shaped lamp and it, it had... It was right in the corner, so and the, so the shadow it cast on the wall was literally just the two arches of the sort of the wings of the owl. Wow! Or the two peaks of Twin Peaks. I don't. Who knows? You know. Again, that could totally be an accident, or it could just be David Lynch really does like that zigzaggy shape as a sure. compositional element. Yeah. Who Who can say? Um, huh? I wonder. It, it felt like they had honed in on the hum way more explicitly this episode to the point that I had expected them to find it. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it literally is going to be another one of those little tubes mm. hidden hidden in that room. I don't yeah. know why it would be humming. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I was hoping that my prediction that it was in like Audrey's secret wall hole was going to oh, totally yeah. be revealed that they would pull that open and there was just right. like 
yeah. one of those things, but there's nothing. I thought I thought the previous time they did this, it seemed when like they it chased moved, them it, around the room. Yeah, I thought but this time, I thought it chased them away, away from them. I thought is what it was doing. Uh, but this time they were like really hovering around that lamp, which is where the camera sort of f- focused in yeah, at the, yeah, at the yeah. end of the previous scene, and yeah. they were like, I think it's I think it's here, but. That was the end of that scene, wasn't it? It just kind of yeah, that's it. That's all we saw. And then the 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 third and f- the third horn scene was um, Johnny Horn, uh, sort of running running around running through. around the horn house as the yeah. camera sort of pans down and then Crashing smashing into, into the things. wall. He hits his head against a, I believe, a like a picture, like a hung picture frame. Yeah, I guess that must be what happened because there's a. Or he hit his head in the wall, then smashed into the picture on the way down. But there's definitely a hole in the wall, yeah. smashed picture frame and glass, and his mom off screen just worriedly freaking yeah. out about him. Yeah. And that's all that we see. That's all we see, yeah. I mean, I'll, so, yeah. So we've seen the whole Horn family now, except Audrey. Except Audrey, yeah, that's true, yeah. Just, which I'm sure... Uh, is really annoying people. <laughs> Why? Well, if, if you're a person who is frustrated that and feel like you're deliberately being played by Frost and Lynch who are withholding from you the things <laughs> that you want, you are livid at this point after seeing yeah. Cooper, see an American flag, see a character dressed as Audrey Horn right. walk by, and then see the two other members of the Horn family. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to be really mad when uh, Billy Zane shows up as Wheeler and like starts <laughs> hanging out with the Horns and you still don't have Audrey. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, okay, well, um, I think that's pretty much the episode. Uh, we close out on the roadhouse. We get a scene. Oh, what, yeah. What, if anything, did you take from the con- that conversation in the booth? Anything? I, I don't know. It was, it was two new characters having a conversation about b- zebras and penguins. Right? Yeah. Was that right? Yeah. Which well, they were. Yeah, it seemed like they were, those were like nicknames they were using. Yeah, which for people. I and mean, then, interestingly, both animals made entirely of black and white. Yeah, d- yeah. stripes and shapes. But uh, I mean, first lady's talking about losing her job, getting a new job, doing the same thing. Yeah, has a weird rash. Yeah, it it felt like it was. I don't know. Just we're we're being introduced to two more sort of down and out teens who are under the heel of the badness of Twin Peaks, but we don't have any context with which to mm-hmm. read a lot more into it. Like, yeah. are they connected to any of the? We don't know which sort of social scenes or like nefarious criminal wings of Twin Peaks these characters are right. connected to, if any, or right. if it's an entirely new thread. Right. It's so hard to know because of the way that this show just drops new threads and doesn't give you any context for them, and then you have to just trust that you're going to be carried till way later when maybe something has mm-hmm. made sense of it. I mean, this reminded me that we got, you know, a bit of... We, we It's been a while since we've caught up with the other sort of strung-out pair of teens mm-hmm. who, you know, I guess we last saw driving away in their convertible. Yep. Um, but we get these, like, little drops of characters like this and then still not clear what yeah. the sort of... As, as far as trying to predict the overall structure of the show, which I, I'm, I'm not trying to do in the active way, but I always sort of have the passive yeah. inquiry in my mind. You you said earlier this episode, it feels like we have to have some sort of resolution or things coming to a head soon. And... I keep pushing against that in my mind of like, okay, we're just not going to get Cooper back until the end. We're not going to land in Twin Peaks and proper until the end, except that there are so many threads in Twin Peaks that feel like the way that this show sort of plants something, then sort of swings it on a huge pendulum until it comes crashing back later. There's so many of those Twin Peaks arcs that are mid swing. There have to be there. Like if that stuff, doesn't show if that stuff just gets like if those threads get cut by the end because the Cooper storyline takes so long it, that just doesn't seem like it's actually like the modus operandi of season three of Twin Peaks like that yeah. ma- that's the thing that makes me think that some big piece of the story is going to slam back into Twin Peaks earlier than it seems like it is because of the pace that we've taken the yeah. Cooper stuff so far so even yeah, I mean it, yeah. even if it ends up that it's that it's still Dougie and Bad Coop and like Gordon and Albert and all those other characters in Twin Peaks or who knows what, like it, it still may not be Cooper chugging down coffee and drinking cherry pie and talking into a tape recorder, but it seems like things are going to come to a head earlier than the very end, at least as far as all of this stuff. Cause it, it can't, it can't be there for no purpose. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think that makes sense. It, it we'll seems like there, wait and see, though. there is at this point actually nothing inside of this season for no purpose. I think, even yeah. though it felt 
super shaggy dog in the first mm-hmm. in the first like five episodes of and, the season. And yeah, I want shaggy elements keep getting introduced. Yeah. But no, I, I think that makes sense. It just yeah, the pieces keep getting picked up. On that, I think this episode is coming to a head. Yep. Uh, send us your email to questions at Twin Peaks. No, I'm sorry. Send us your questions to Idle Thumbs. Oh my God! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Tired. If you have a questions, uh, send them to us at Twin Peaks at IdleThumbs.net. That's true. Uh, our website is TwinPeaksRewatch.com, and from there you can find uh, just all the different places we are on the internet. If you like this show, um, tell a friend. Consider rating us on uh, iTunes. Um, we are we have. A lot of viewers on YouTube now, so thanks for watching. If that's where you're watching us, uh, and we didn't, we didn't get any at the time we recorded this email. We didn't yet have any. <laughs> at the time we recorded this episode, we did not yet have any email about this latest episode. But do send in your email about the season, about the next episode after it airs. Send that into uh, TwinPeaksAdultThumbs.net, and if we get any in time, we will read it on the next episode. Yep. And yeah, thanks for following along with us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for part 10. For Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Bye.